Hi, welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne. On today's episode, we sit down with photographer Larry Fink. Larry Fink is a two-time recipient of the Guggenheim Fellowship, as well as the National Endowment for the Arts Individual Photography Fellowship. Larry is well known for his book, Social Graces, which is a series of photographs that contrast the upper class of New York City with the working class of rural Pennsylvania. Larry's work has been featured in numerous publications, such as the New York Times Magazine and most notably Vanity Fair, where he photographed celebrities at the annual Vanity Fair Oscars party for almost 10 years. Larry Fink is someone who I've admired for many years, so this interview is a true pleasure to do, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Well, uh, first off, Larry, I just want to thank you uh, for coming on and doing this. I really appreciate it. You may, you may not. <laughs> no, I think I will. I think I will already. <laughs> uh, I might curse and fart and do all kinds of stupid things that have nothing to do with photography. That's all right. You can say whatever you want, Larry. Um, no, I don't know if I'll... I mean, I, I'm going to stick the phone up my ass and see what happens today. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> perfect. Well, thanks, Larry. Um, I guess just to, like, start off, um, I was just kind of interested, like, what are kind of, like, some of your earliest memories of photography, like, what were kind of like the first initial things you were kind of photographing when you got into it? <laughs> well, let's see. It's a long time back. But the way that I got into photography was not through image making, but was through the chap across the street from me in Long Island, Larry Levine, who was up to making an, uh, a homemade enlarger. Mm-hmm. And we got into doing this thing with prisms and lenses and whatnot like that. Wow. And at any rate, that led to me taking up one of my dad's cameras. And that led to me to become something to do with going out into the woods all alone and making photographs of the nature Mm -hmm. around the, at that point, reasonably rural points of Long Island and West Hempstead. Okay. That's 100 years ago. Wow. Um, Unlike another fellow who was involved with photography at West Hempstead named Dick Lipton, who was a popular kind of a kid, he adapted the camera and immediately became the school photographer doing athletes and all kinds of things to be functional and popular. Yep. I was driven to be unpopular. I wouldn't say that, Larry. <laughs> well, truly, I was stealing cars and getting into trouble and getting suspended from school yep. and whatnot and using photography as some kind of a leverage to be alone with a function rather than just simply sad mm-hmm. and making pictures of these trees and sticks and branches. Yeah. So um, those are my first memories of how I would essentially escape my own morass <laughs> and go off into the grass if you if you will yeah because i mean before photography when you were growing up like what kind of stuff were you interested before that were you kind of well my my parents were left-wing people and they were cultured people not not high-end culture but a a common culture so i was interested in beethoven and bebop bebop Mm -hmm. count basie and and um dylan thomas poems and Mm -hmm. walt whitman and so on and so forth so i had a a certain degree of culturation within the family. Yeah. 
the family was very, very um, involved with the painters, the realist painters of the time, Moses Sawyer, Anton Refugé, Philip Evergood, and whatnot. And I was led to be friendly with those older gentlemen when I was a kid, because my parents were. Yeah. And so therein, therein was essentially my aesthetic training, if you will. Yep. Um, so, and I used to go to Moses' studio back in the 60s, uh, after high school way, and after my one month at college, yep. where I photographed lonely places from a lonely perspective from a lonely guy. Um, before that, however, I went to Stockbridge School in Massachusetts, which was a progressive school. I had to go there because I was so fucking crazy at home in West Hempstead. Yeah. And it turned out to be a terrific experience because they were very, very hip kids and incredibly good teachers. And there I started to become uh, aligned with the idea of being an artist or a contributor that way because of a lot of the kids were interested in Kerouac and Ginsburg and whatnot like that. Yeah. Um, and so I photographed yeah. out there as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's, those are my first, you know, those are my first orientations. Yeah. Photographically. That's cool. So Stockbridge, was that for like college or was that? Um... No, it was a high school. I went there for about a year and a half too. Yep. The... Fell in love, got nice. into all kinds of malarkey, but basically became a good student because I was interested in culture and they taught culture rather than the mathematics of learning, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a great place, actually. That's cool. So yeah. then, so then, after high school, did you go study photography, or what was kind of your next step after you graduated high school? I, I, I never studied photography. I went to college for a half a half of uh, two months. Yep. Out in Co College in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Okay. The only college that would take me with my various spotty record. Yeah. I always say that they needed a they had a quota system. They needed to have a. Jewish, beatnik, pot smoking, sandal wearing, <laughs> goatee character. Yeah, uh, and I was very popular there with the fraternity boys who tried to wholeheartedly, me, yeah. wholeheartedly, you know, uh, get me inside their their ranks. Mm-hmm. My, it was said that I was the only guy in ROTC, which was required then, mandatory, to wear the, the uniform backwards and have no regard for authority whatsoever. Yeah. So anyhow, I was a, I was definitely born to be a rebel yep <laughs> i'm no longer a rebel i'm just a regular guy <laughs> <laughs> you're not regular larry you're special man <laughs> <laughs> well i i have some skills but uh, yeah. um i i'm just a person yep but um uh, you know so anyhow that's uh, in, in in iowa and then i started to hitchhike around the country and then i ended up back on mcdougall street where i bumped into Kirk LeClaire and Mary Marion Ambrose and Mike Stanley and mm-hmm. Bobby Bobby and Mother and all these dudes yep. and that I photographed on a trip down to Mexico City with that book that you probably know called The Beach. Yep. And that was when I was how old? Seventeen or eighteen. Wow. That I was traveling and making those pictures with no knowledge whatsoever about what a picture is to be made from or how. Yeah. Uh, and when I came back after getting arrested at the border for smuggling pot, mm-hmm. um, I 
developed the film. There wasn't a lot of it. I wasn't a voluminous shooter. And uh, and cropped all the pictures badly and made awful prints and really had no cultured way of understanding what it was that I was A, gifted with, and B, what I should be actually aspiring to in terms of photographic principles or, or expression. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty naive, except that from the look of those pictures, I seem to have had a gift from the very get-go. Yeah. Because... Um, at that point, had you kind of this taught yourself this the basic technical stuff for photography, this kind of on your own? Were you kind of just learning as you? Yeah, went? I never went to school for photography. I did study. Okay. I didn't go to school. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't of the bent to have authority teach me anything. Mm-hmm. And that's to this fucking day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I do read a lot and yeah. so on and so forth, but I don't. Yeah. I mean, not today actually, that's not true. I would go back to school and I would listen to our learned professors and be fascinated because I'm I'm pretty level yeah you know but back in those days I wasn't I was imbalanced yeah that's one thing I was going to ask you is like I guess when you're like younger coming up like before you kind of made photography a career was there like anything you kind of like thought you were going to pursue as a career before photography or was it always just like you were going to make a career out of photography Career wasn't anything that I was thinking about. Yeah, revolution was. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I came from left-wing people, yep. and they were religiously delusional, uh, thinking that there would be some kind of revolution in our country. There might be now, <laughs> but but that's another story. But um, uh, the polarities now are so distinct that it's just amazing. But. Not so then, and and um, so I never thought about career, never thought about making money, I never thought about any of that. Not that my parents weren't wealthy, but they they had some cash, and they were definitely willing to support me. They weren't so willing to support me when I kept on going to jail. Yeah, um, but you know that's that's the that was the the luck of the drawer, if you will. Mm-hmm. But but um, but nevertheless, they did. You know, they did. They were behind me in terms of my my uh, bohemian or revolutionary or yeah. artistic bent. Yeah. Um, my sister, who died a couple three years ago, was a a left wing prisoners' rights lawyer. She was a lawyer for the Attica Brothers for 28 years. Wow. Pro bono. Yeah. Until she won that case, and we worked along with Bill Kunstler of those days, and and uh, Lenny. Um, Kathy Boudin, who was one of the Brinks people, was uh, somebody who I dated. You know, I mean, I was a super left-wing doofus. Yeah. But with a very bohemian, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, orientation. Yeah. Um, so career, it wasn't so. I was, after um, 1963, 64, I was stuck with a career, which was called photography. Mm-hmm. Because I had to make a living, and and uh, revolution wasn't going so well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so I was, you know, stuck with this thing called photography, which I loved as a tool, a license to be on the front line of all things that were social and and expressive and poetic and interesting. Because you know, I'm, I was and still am an interested cat. You know, I'm really interested in what happens in the thrush in the pulse of human life mm-hmm. and uh, photography is a, a noble way to 
code it and to um, move, you know, towards some kind of goal of leaving stuff behind for posterity and whatnot like that. Mm-hmm. I guess you were always kind of drawn to photographing people from the beginning? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, today I have to say, I mean, I photograph everything. I'm a very, if you will, eclectic photographer. I've photographed anything from praying mantises to dead mice yeah. to landscapes to, you know, anything you can think of because uh, basically I'm a man who is curious about physical physical life, if you will, yeah. but with a great deal of emphasis certainly on the psychology and the interplay uh, between humans in the within the human species yeah 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 the thing that's always kind of uh i've been drawn to your work is this like it seems like you're always just kind of like rooting for the underdog like in a lot of your projects um is it kind of seems like an underlying theme um with a lot of your work um is there like kind of like a when you're shooting projects is there something you're looking for generally or is it this kind of stuff that pops up kind of sporadically well, you know, uh, rooting for the underdog. I would. I'm not like say, Gene Richards. Mm-hmm. You know, or some of the Magnum photographers, as noble as they are, and as good as Gene is, and some others too. Yeah. Um, and Gene Smith. I mean, I'm not. I'm not uh, rhetorically religious to think that my pictures could somehow or another change the world. Yeah. Um, Gene Smith certainly thought he could. Gene Richards has a, a very specific and honorable martyrdom to the kind of things that he shoots for the underdog, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm a little bit more um, spread apart. You know, I'm uh, maybe more interested in self-expression, with a bent for sure of trying to find out what it means to be alive, to be sad, to be happy, to be glad, to to feel. Yeah. I'm I'm rooting for some people. I'm rooting for the folks who feel. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, indeed, the underdog, the beach. I didn't think about them as underdog. They were my pals. Yeah. John Sabatine from Social Graces, the, the family down the road. They weren't the underdog. They were just people I fucking hung out with. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the wealthy people from the Social Graces weren't the underdog at all. Mm. I mean, they were the overdog, if anything. Yeah. Even though in, in real history they were actually the, not really the overdog, they were basically uh, the aristocracy from the Euro- Eastern European bloc, which were landed in America, and they were oftentimes cash poor and and uh, nobility rich, mm-hmm. which led to some of the of the deep kind of sense of frustration within some of those faces. You know, um, so anyhow, it's the underdog, the boxers, or you know, they. They aspire to be the overdog yeah. through skill and brutality and will and tenacity and whatnot. But so I don't know. I'm not necessarily thinking of myself as a socially social bent proletarian orchestrated. Let's show the horror of the world photographer. I see. Um, I I I think of myself just as a. I'm I'm interested in deep expression. Mm-hmm. And if that means sadness, that's certainly that's part of us all. Yeah. If it means gladness, it means the same. It's all of us. Yeah. Um, with the project you mentioned, uh, Social Graces, um, how did that kind of come to fruition? Like, how did that project kind of start? 
Um, I know you're really well known for that, but like, what were kind of like the early days of shooting that project? Did it, did you kind of set out with that in mind or did it kind of slowly kind of form into that body of work over time? Over time, it was, it was formulated. It, it, um, I started off with the upper class, the, the sorority, the, um, you know, the, uh, uh, Cummings out balls and the various kinds of regalia of that kind of thing. I was teaching at Parsons School of Design at that time and I was, some of the kids in my class were, you know, going to those kind of fancy parties, so they invited me along. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, reasonably speaking, a Marxist kind of a guy, and I was really interested in power. So this this, this ritual of parties and whatnot represented a certain kind of power, mm-hmm. and the and the hijinks within it, you know, being aligned with and being dressing up in a tuxedo and getting all gussied up like that. Yeah. Uh, and photographing was just an outstanding event for me because I had never been exposed to that kind of social class or behavior for that for that matter. Yeah. So that evolved, and I kept on going, and I and I started to use that flash because I couldn't get what I wanted in terms of clarity with um with regular film in darkness, and so I used the flash. But I had been influenced by people like Orson Welles and film noir and whatnot, and also Caravaggio and uh, Goya and folks like that who used paint and illusion to create, a, you know, a, a, a dramaturgy which was right, impacted and powerful. So I used it that way, not, a, not with a specific bent to imitate that, but with the idea of that culture being behind me. Mm-hmm. And so I used the camera, took it immediately off, ca- off camera. I wasn't like Gary or Lee or any of those guys who put it on camera so just to see what photography looked like when they flattened spaces out by the flood of light. I'm not interested in photography per se. Yeah. I'm interested in what photography could do for me and also what it could do for speaking tongues to humanity, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but anyhow, the flash did go on for about 25 or so years. <laughs> so that was was that kind of like the first project you kind of shot a lot of flash with because I know that's kind of like what you're known for like in a lot of your work um was that kind of like the starting point for that or had you kind of already had like ex- experimented with it before then Well oddly enough I had I had taken flash bulbs and a flash camera on my Rolleiflex when I was a beatnik and so if you look at that book there's maybe three or four pictures in there Yeah where I was using flash bouncing off the wall off of poetry readings and such like that or you know, and where the hell I had that knowledge, I can't even begin to tell you, <laughs> because I didn't have it. Yeah. <laughs> I was just a peanut. <laughs> but I had a, you know, uh, I guess I must have been bright mm-hmm. um, and had a, an associative mind saying, well, if I do this, this might happen type of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then in the in the throes of the Social Graces work, certainly the the first part of it, the wealthy people, throwing the flash across the plane, blackening it, using a Vivitar so that you have a snout with the telly and mm-hmm. minimizing the amount of light which is going to throw into the center and so on. Yeah. All that kind of stuff was tremendously prone to accidentality, which I believe is one of the most exciting things in life. Mm-hmm. Chance. And so what chance can teach you is, as far as I'm concerned, more, more profound in so many ways than actual studies with the dictum you know 
Mm-hmm. So I was throwing chance into chance and coming up with chances. When I teach, I often say to the kids, if you don't take a chance, you don't get a chance. Yep. And uh, so I was a chancy dude. Um, so anyhow, that that worked out that way. Anyhow, the way I met the Sabatines and the other part of the Social Graces folks is that John Sabatine, the big burly guy, was selling lawnmowers for 10 bucks. And that's about all I had. I needed a lawnmower. And uh, so I went down there. And he, one of the things about his lawnmower is that you ensured you had to come back to get it fixed about five times. Yeah. So it was 10. It's 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that, this is all in, uh, like, rural, Martin, rural Pennsylvania, yeah, right? Martin's Creek, Pennsylvania. So, so anyhow, I liked John because he was really out front, and Gene, who was even more out front, and the kids. And so I kept on going back and back and back and having their spaghetti sauce, which was lathered with grease, <laughs> and, you know, whatnot, and fixing my old... Willie's 1957 Jeep truck down there. You know, I got to be pals. So I photographed that. It wasn't part of a photographic plan. It was just I was where I was. Yeah. Um, the wealthy people in the fancy balls was more of a plan, but it was also where I was because I wanted to investigate that, mm-hmm. see what it felt like to be that way. Not I couldn't be that way specifically, but yeah, just in proximation, in approximation, anyhow. So um, so the two of the bodies really didn't have much to do with one another until it became clear that with Flash, I had developed a style which was uh, um, very, very, you know, original, if you will. Yeah. And, um, and with the two bodies of work, you know, concurrently living side by side, I had developed um, a system of analysis based on similar rituals from very, very different people, parties and the like, you know, and uh, took it up to Carol Kismarek, then Aperture, and Susan, her sister, her sister, who's still alive, Carol, unfortunately died, and they were really supportive, and they goaded me to see Michael Hoffman and whatnot, and he liked the work, and then we had the first book of Social Graces out of Aperture, when was it, 1984? Yep. However, I had gotten, before that, oh gosh, you know, some Guggenheims and, you know, and that kind of stuff, because I went out for grants, and mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to get rewarded with those yeah. sums of money that supported me at that time in life. Yeah. Um, I guess with that project, like, what do you think you learned from that project to, like, how, like how people are people different or like are they similar with those two groups of people or what was your big takeaway from that project just being around those two different groups of people an interesting experiment to take a guy like John Sabatine and dress him up in a tux <laughs> <laughs> you brought him with you well actually Jeannie the, the, his wife you know came to the Museum of Modern Art with me when the show was up mm-hmm. and met John Tchaikovsky yeah. Who who kissed her hand after taking a sip of his martini and said, "Oh, I've been waiting for this moment." <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Which for her was like, "Holy shit!" You know. <laughs> yeah. And then we, but then it was mandatory to go down to St. Patrick's Cathedral and pick up a a Chris so she could take home a souvenir from New York. Yeah. But um, 
at any rate, are they very different? Of course, they're very different. Yeah. Um, the, the wealthy in this case, you know, are were reasonably repressed because of hierarchical um, orchestration mm-hmm. and a sense of style and a sense of you know what goes on in terms of self-presentation. Yeah. And the Sabbateens and those types had no idea of self-presentation whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it, they said. Fuck it. Let let it hang out. It's hanging out anyhow. Might as well hang it out further. You know, type of thing. So, so what I learned was that they were very, very different kinds of energies, e- both equally notable. Yeah. And I didn't go into the wealthy or the Sabbateens with any any kind of idea of being critical, i.e. putting anybody down. Yeah. It was more like some kind of sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. Of, I wonder. Yeah. I mean, my when I see people, I'm, I, I'm a kind of a compulsive empathizer. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I can... I can think that I can actually move inside somebody else's flesh and become them, even though I know full well I can't. But there is some part of me which searches so deeply into faces and hands and gestures and bodies and so on mm-hmm. that the photographs, by definition, have this kind of inordinate sense of physical proximity, um, which I think uh, is their secret power. Is that my pictures, I hope, I should say, don't really look like pictures. They feel like experiences. Yeah. And uh, and even though I use structure, very painterly structure and light, and, you know, whatnot and so on, to make a beautiful picture, very conscious, very, very conscious. Yeah. Of frame and weight and balance and light and scale, but that's just for me language. Yeah. So that the viewer can can drop their inhibitions and move on into the experience of the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I was always curious about with your work, um, like I know you're really well known for shooting the Vanity Fair Oscars party um, and then also with Social Graces are you kind of the type of photographer when you go to these events are you shooting like a ton of photos or are you kind of like taking your time and just kind of picking your moments when you kind of see one um, how does your how do you kind of operate with those type of uh, situations I had a kid out this afternoon a young woman who wanted to show me her work and whatnot and is mm-hmm. doing a, a school report for the School of Visual Arts where she goes. Yeah. A really lovely person. And she asked me that question. Yeah. And uh, and I told her this. I said, I photograph like a frog. <laughs> and which is to say that a frog sits quietly, pensively, and intently yep. for long, long periods of time watching. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the fly will come across his scope, and, yep. and his tongue lashes out and catches it. Yeah, and that's the way I photograph. It makes sense. It seems like a, a good way to operate. You kind of, once you see something, then you snap the photo and 
instead of this like being overbearing kind of shooting too much because it can get kind of get in people's faces i suppose in those type of yeah you that and also you know you it's like a it's like promiscuous yeah promiscuous you know impulses and it's promiscuity doesn't necessarily benefit anybody in a, yeah in any particular way yeah and then what about with your work i know you shoot uh ex- exclusively in black and white um have you always just worked in black and white and what kind of drew you to that and what kind of kept you there working in that style well black and white in, in a nutshell is 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 my is um diminutive it means it takes away color you mm-hmm. and if you're working uh and so you work you're you're left with expression and emotion yep. and structure and space and light and color doesn't come come into the uh, into the particularity so and that's a good thing because for me anyhow because um because I have a subtle painterly sense of what palette should be if you shoot extemporaneously <clears throat> so many times a red or a blue or a yellow or a purple or who knows what yeah. is going to come into your frame whereas the object might be structurally very very interesting but color wise it, it it blows the thing out of whack mm-hmm. so rather than having to uh analyze on that level i just you know take it out like black and white it also black and white has a drama about it which is you know extremely beautiful mm-hmm so I mean, like Marty Farr, who's a terrific kind of um, diarist of all kinds of impulses, you know, but his palette doesn't interest me not one moment, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, it's uh, just full of a jambalaya, and jambalaya is actually a good stew, not jambalaya. It's just full of a jumble of colors all over the place, and they're all you know hot and flashed. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I don't, I don't take any pleasure from that, even though his ironic you know commentary is definitely gives me pleasure yeah um is uh, i know you've shot for film is film photography something you're still are you still working in film or have you kind of transitioned to digital or where you no can... i gave film up as soon as digital came my way okay got it was... i mean film's terrific i did it for 50 years yep yeah that was enough um and you know digital because of the optics and fact you can shoot in the dark and so on and so forth and the optics you can go from from macro to infinity and you know without a with you know just the snake of the flip of your nose yep. uh just gives you or gives me anyhow a, um, a much more uh, uh ample and democratic palette in which to, to uh, apply your you know perceptions yeah um and then i guess with with the photos you shot for the Vanity Fair Oscar party, um, how did that project kind of come about? And uh, I guess what was your goal for the th- those images? Did you kind of have something you were kind of set out when you started working on that uh, project? No. First of all, I was working for Vanity Fair. Yep. Uh, under contract, so I I didn't. Um, it was just part of my whole scale of my events in, in life, meaning mm-hmm. that I was photographing. The rich, the famous, the powerful, or whatever—not yeah, in the paparazzi fashion. I didn't. I didn't really care about the celebrity. I cared about their humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, but my goal was just that. I cared about their humanity, and so I didn't see them as as um, Meryl Streep or uh, whoever they may be. I, I saw them as people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and quite frankly, I 
at that time didn't watch a lot of TV or see a lot of movies. So a lot of these folks, even though they were famous as as could be, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's good. <laughs> I I once once photographed a wedding at, at photographer Fante Dorazio's uh, wedding, and uh, and he you know hung out with. Uh, Clemente and Julian Schnabel and Alex Rose and all these guys, yeah, gals and and that was you know that's good. They're they're interesting guys, mm-hmm. for sure, and friends some. But um, but anyhow, so I bump into Alex Rose, who I never even heard of because I didn't know anything about blood, sweat, and tears, or whatever you know. Yeah, and I say so, so we're talking in there, and I I said so. What do you do? <laughs> he said, I'm a musician. I said, wow, that's great. You know, and he's like incredulous that, you know, I'm just sort of Mr. Bumpkin from, 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 uh, from Looneyville. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Alex, oh, Alex, that's a nice name, I say. <laughs> he's like one of the most famous people in the fucking world, you know, getting into all kinds of shenanigans and trouble. And I'm like, Mr. Naive Tay, hey, even though I shouldn't be there, I am at this fancy party with all kinds of sophisticated people. Yeah. And I was oftentimes the same kind of guy at the Hollywood parties. I would see Dustin Hoffman, and, you know, I knew who he was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I never knew what he looked like, and blah, 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 blah. I, I didn't care, because I cared more about their essential worth rather than their hierarchical worth. And, uh, uh, you know, I, that's why the pictures, if they're good at all, besides the structure form and all the kind of skill I have, um, uh, are good, because they're... They're just curious vehicles about folks. Yeah. You know. And you did that, I think you did that for like nine years, correct? Yeah, about nine, ten years, yeah. Uh, do you feel like the photos at the beginning are stronger or uh, towards the end, or are they all this kind of... It just mashes together. I don't think there's any particularity in terms of stronger or weaker. Got it. Just, yeah. yeah. I, I, I shot a I didn't shoot a lot compared yeah. to many, but I shot, you know, more, I mean, I was under contract and I had to get a certain you know, bunch of, st- you know, after the first three years, I was concerned about meeting up with the stars because that was sort of what I was supposed to do. Yeah. I'd run around a little bit trying to be informed by somebody who was a spotter or what I, and then I just forgot about it because there were four other photographers, Jonathan Becker and uh, mm-hmm. Patrick, Patrick, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the Irish guy. Um, McMillan, yeah, and uh, and all of those folks, and they, they, you know, nice guys, and they were doing all that stuff. They just stand them up and smile them, yeah, and getting everybody who's important. I said, "Fuck it, I'm just going off and doing my own stuff," you know. And Graydon Carter, you know, who's I'm going to a party tomorrow night at dinner in his honor of his leaving Vanity Fair. Yeah, uh, Graydon uh, <laughs> really was always amused by me. Uh, because I knew that I was like living in an entirely different world, you know. Yeah. And uh, do you know the book? You know the book, The Vanities, right? Yep. Yep. Did you read the uh, my little statement in the front? Uh, yeah, I've read it before. It's been a little while, but yeah, I remember. I've seen it before. It's really a good one, and uh, you know about what's your name? Um, fuck the editor of French Vogue. What's her name right now? I forget. She's no longer, but. Yeah. He said, why are you always smiling, Larry? <laughs> I said, I got a secret. <laughs> What's your secret? And in the text, it's a, small, it's a short one. If you want to go re- refresh yourself, it's a yeah. good one. Yeah, I'll check it out. Um, yeah. Was editorial photography something you enjoyed doing? Um, 
Yeah, I did. Because somebody would call me and they'd say, Larry, go off and photograph an underpants factory or whatever. Yeah. Or Elaine's Club or yeah. this or that or anything. You know, yo, yeah. off I go. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. What were some of kind of your first uh, magazine assignments? I worked for Pageant Magazine. I did a story on the Judson Church in that day, which was a dance church. Yeah. That was pretty cool. And uh, then I, the first real assignments I had and jobs I had were for Catholic magazines, Today's Family and Jubilee and back in the 60s. And I worked finding out about, I'm not a Catholic for sure, but through this idea of empathy, I did manage to meet the Lord through the hearts of others mm-hmm. and became reverent of those who reveal, revere. Yeah. And so I love that. I just love being amongst the Catholics with the rituals and the simple beliefs and the and piety. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Nice. Um, and then I guess, uh, I know you've been teaching at Bard College for years. Um, how did you kind of get into that, and like, what do you enjoy about um, teaching? Well, I've been teaching since 1963. Mm-hmm. And I started teaching in Haryu Act. Um, at the anti-poverty program of Johnson's Great Society. I was teaching young kids from the ghetto how to be photographers and journalists and so on to see if they can transform their world. And that was exciting as can be. I had to leave in two years because of politics. Uh, things were got clamped down a bit. But um, then I went to, to teach at School of Visual Arts and ICP and Parsons School of Design and Kingsborough Community College and Lehigh University and Lafayette and then Yale University and then finally Bard where I spent how many years? 29 years as a professor there. And I've just retired last year but I still have a presence on campus. I go up once a month nice. to do crits. In fact, I'll be going up going to Miami tomorrow for that big photo fest thing. Yep. Um, but I'm going up to Bard then soon after uh, on next Monday, so um, to to do certain things. So I I really love kids. I like to think that what I do with teaching photography is is try to implant in people a will to have the courage of their own imagination. Mm. That's nice. Um, have you seen like a change in how? the students are from when you first started to like where photography school is now is there like a difference of like the type of people that are kind of getting into it or is it any change kind of since you started teaching yeah there is but culturally the kids have changed somewhat Mm -hmm. um like the culture itself and they're a bit softer and a bit less curious and and because of all the technology that we have to see each other on the phone or what have you like that there's is more of an insularity and an inversion um, rather than a, uh, a more uh, courageous curiosity about you know folks folks out there yeah that's not not a hundred percent wonderful for sure mm-hmm. even though the amount of information you can get off of the systems that we have today is like staggering and it's wonderful but physical information in terms of life life experiences is more limited yeah um, that takes a claw away from 
many kids in terms of going out and seeking out various kinds of realities and truths and experiences out there in the real world. You know? Yeah, just having a curiosity. Um, yeah. It kind of seems just looking at it from your work, you're, you're just curious about a lot of different things from boxing to loggers and all the different stuff you shoot and it kind of shows in your work and that's why it's so strong, I suppose. Um, this curious. Um, it's partially that. But uh, see, I also, you know that book, Primal Elegance, on praying mantises? Yep. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I like that book a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My friends. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, uh, some of the work, I have a couple more questions, I'll let you go. Um, some of the photos on your website, the outpour um, from the, yeah. the Women's March um, back in Jan this past January. Um, how important was it for you to photograph that? And um, Very important. What are you hoping people will take away from those photos? Some degree of solidarity and hope mm. and emotional fluidity. Mm. We produced a small book, The Outboard. You yep. probably have it. And, and um, we, I printed it overseas in guys I print with, and they're pub small publishers called Artier de, de Graphiche de la Artier, mm -hmm. Jean-Luc and John Marco. They're a great, great press, some of the best printers in the world, I believe. And um, and we produced it small like it is, in pink, yep. for the hats. And, and we sell it for um, $25 a book, and all of the proceeds are given to Planned Parenthood. Mm. And so far, we've been able to fund uh, seven thousand dollars worth of donation. Nice, that's amazing. That that's amazing. Yeah. That's and it was originally, you know, I mean, I, I pestered Vanity Fair for the longest period of time to do the gig, you know, to get access because I photographed there's a couple pictures in the book of the night before, but I photographed the balls and all that stuff. So yep. VF helped me do that, and then the march itself, and I couldn't. March was so big and so dense that you couldn't really pack out and go any place. So you basically <laughs> you just kept on spinning, spinning around in a circle, seeing different people all the time because people were moving and, and you weren't, you know. And uh, <laughs> I love that book. I love the emotionality and the mm -hmm. courage and the power of the women within that book. Yeah. No, it was yeah. definitely amazing work. I enjoyed it. Um, and then I guess, like, just a couple more questions, like, like, how has photography changed for you? Like, what does it mean for you now compared to, like, when you first started? Is it any different, or is there anything that, like, you're looking to, like, uh, I guess pursue in the future, like stuff you want to keep shooting? I think the adage is keep shooting, which yeah. I do. I've only been doing it for, what, 63 years. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not give. I haven't given up yet or haven't tired of it. I just... I have lulls, certainly. Yeah. Um, I also play jazz piano and... Um... <laughs> jazz harmonica. Yeah. And blues. Yeah. I, I keep active. And also I have... Um, uh, I seem to write a lot. Uh, do you go on Facebook? Uh, a little bit. I don't. I, I use Instagram more than Facebook, um, but I definitely go on there. Yeah, Instagram. I mean, I have a bunch of stuff that I sometimes I forget about it myself. But yeah. Jill, I work with Jill Sander, mm -hmm. the fashion outfit, and they hire me to do what I do. Yeah. 
not fashion, but stuff backstage and collections and all that stuff. And they have a nice presence. So if you go on Jill Sandy, you see a lot of nice pictures from me. Yeah. And they're really nice people, really good people, and politically adroit and so on. Yeah. But Facebook is interesting, as is that it's it's both boring and, and tepid, yeah. and unbelievably interesting because politics right now are all over Facebook, and that's yep. that's very important mm-hmm. to know that because it's uh, it's certainly a vehicle to speak. I I tend to write very bad poems, or very bad essays, always concise, always short, always to a point. So if you feel like garnering up any shit from me or from anybody for that matter <laughs> yeah you can go on facebook and find me and yeah i'll friend you if you want but yeah, uh, check it out yeah but uh let me see so i'm always writing something i'm always i'm a what can i say i'm a fucking contributor yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> i see i see your instagram you're updating all the time <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i, I had a, a lull of about two three weeks but now we have some stuff roswell rudd is my friend, the trombone player, is dying, and he had a party at Dizzy's Club, and there's Archie Shep and me playing the blues yeah. and whatnot, you know. But, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm out and around. Yeah, that's, I was, that's one thing I was going to ask you. What do you think about Instagram for photographers? Like, do you think that's something um, it's important for photographers to do, or what was your kind of initial take on it when you started using it? Well, you know, I was reticent to do anything about it, not for any particular reason, except maybe I just didn't. I'm a little bit slow to to, to uh, grasp the meanings of certain communication tools. And uh, but my buddy Stephen Shaw was, you know, always up to it with his beautiful, yeah, you know, sterlingly clear sights of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, he kept on, you know. I mean, I, I, buddy. I mean, Stephen and I are colleagues for thirty years. Yep. And we're not, and we are friends, but we're not friends, and we don't go hang out. Yeah. We're very different people. That's why we made such a great department at Bard because of Stephen's taciturn, you know, formal kind of way, and my completely roly-poly, let's get down kind of way. Yeah. And uh, so it was a good combo, and now Bard is much more, much more than just we two. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, he. And then I got onto it, and I said, wow, this is cool. Yeah. And I, anything where you can throw stuff out there, you know, and communicate with other folks mm-hmm. is okay with me. Oh, that's great. Um, you know? That's really cool. I definitely enjoy looking at it. Um, is there any projects you're kind of currently working on or stuff that's kind of coming down the pipeline? I'm thinking about I'm I started to get involved with doing some more landscapes. At the moment, people, for the most part, are not as interesting as they used to be to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't go back and photograph parties or any, you know, stuff that, that I did for long, long periods of time. I'm, I, but if, I must say, on the other hand, if you threw me in the middle of a swirl of people jumping around and doing all kinds of goosey shit, yeah. I'd be perfectly happy to be photographing. <laughs> you know? That's good. But I wouldn't necessarily drive my car to get there because I've, I've experienced it you know, um, in, in, a, in many, many different reasonable and, re- and unreasonable ways. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know if I'm so project-oriented right now, save for the fact of just continuing to see and can, continuing to use the medium. Mm-hmm to fuel my and clarify my investigation into physical matter and psychological order on every level. Well, 
That's exciting, Larry. Uh, well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I've been a fan of your work for a long time, so uh, definitely look forward to seeing more of your work in the future. And I uh, can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, letting me talk to you. Okay, my man. Take okay. care. Ciao. So there you have it. That was the Larry Fink interview. I want to thank Larry so much for coming on the podcast. It was a real pleasure getting to speak with him about his work. Larry's a photographer that I've admired for many years, so I can't thank him enough for coming on. If you guys want to check out Larry's work, you can go to his website at LarryFinkPhotography.com. As well, he's on Instagram at LarryFinkPhoto. And going forward, I'm going to be doing weekly podcasts here with different photographers. You can check them out on my website where I'll be linking it at AlexGagnePhoto.com, as well as my Instagram at AlexGagnePhoto. Thanks so much for listening and take care.